0: Long talk radio.
1: Hey,
2: hey, Hold on, stick hey, 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 as good as an intro as I could possibly think. Let me see if I think this is Van joining me on the line. It's your boy three K Van. Is this you, my friend?
0: It's me in the flash, three K. What is the hat on the craps with you tonight? I'm
2: ready uh, I'm ready to ram it. Back on Block Talk Radio, man. Ready to we ram are. it. We are
0: we're back. Back to where it all began before they went all premium and shit on us. But we're back. It's all good. We're here to Friday night. It's, we're gonna ram it I was thinking I was actually watching that video today, thinking about all the funny innuendo that they have in there. I think it's not Eric Dickerson, it's um I can't even remember who it is now, but so it's something to the effect of I'm gonna come up at you and I'm gonna take you down, I'm gonna come up <laughs> at you and
1: make you frown. And I think
0: that 19... if anyone was you know, that would probably be an apt description to what it means to me.
2: Yeah, nineteen eighties Los Angeles was not a place where subtlety necessarily applied. Um but, you know, i I figure if you if you decide if you make the decision to go ahead and name your nineteen eighties team rap Ramit, you might as well go all the way and just really go for it.
0: Yeah, and really, you know what's funny about that too is I was noticing today I'm looking at I, I think I'm gonna do um if you see on Espionation where uh, like Bill Hanstock and John Boyce have taking some of those old classic YouTube moments and broken them down. I think we're going to do that with <laughs> Ramit, you know, As, an well, enhanced, I just, pressure, like in the CSI labs where they're dialing it up close and looking at it, breaking it down frame by frame, a film review, if you will, of Ramit. I ram think it. you might
2: have to do like the whole series where you got the Super Bowl shuffle, Ramit. You had um, uh, Florida State. I remember the one with Dion Sanders. The I think it was just called Seminole Rap. Let's not
0: forget Ram's rules
2: the, Well I think Ram's rules needs to be buried Deep within it's the earth isn't really forgettable, time... But
0: I think we're going to bring it back
2: We need to attach a time capsule To a drill And just send that mug Straight to China through the earth Yeah absolutely Done.
0: Absolutely You know speaking of time capsules Oh
1: here it is get ready for the transition We're back
0: We're back. Speaking of time capsules, let's fast forward it up to 2013 when men's hair is a little smaller, cheerleader uniforms a little more revealing, but in sort of still a Roger Goodell, Amish-approved way. Let's talk about 2013 Rams. The Rams finally, finally seem to be on the right track. Am I wrong? Am Am I off base to say that?
2: I think they're ready to ram it. No, I think, you know, it's tough because every team wants to think they got better in the offseason, and certainly that looks you know to be the case for us. But uh, I think it's an interesting time to be a Rams fan, and things at least are trending in the right direction. I think it's just a a matter of time to see how quickly they elevate. And I think 2013 is maybe the first step, or maybe I guess the second step. You can count last year as the first step, but – it's it's an interesting time, and I think we're gonna see throughout the preseason and throughout training camp how that begins to solidify,
0: yeah, I mean I think they're gonna they're gonna they're they're gonna sneak up on us and come up on us and come on us and ram us, but you know just to bring it all full circle back to ram it like that ram it oh <laughs> man damn
2: it, damn it <laughs> <laughs> well
0: pretty as you know
2: we're we're trying to we're classing
0: up the, the old podcast a little bit here. So why way, you know, so why'd you, why'd my you presence have on it here? is dragging it down to a factor of 10 or something like that. <laughs> but
1: no, I, you know, as you, you know,
0: 3K, behind the scenes, you and I hashed out on a list of important topics to talk about. And
1: very, you know, we talked a lot about ramming it.
0: So. Yes, yeah, very rigid and, we're you know. Very rigid a outline. But, uh.
2: You know, I think I, I tried to read it out in the post on uh, TST and the the Show radio kind of outline of everything that's happened since the last time we had an episode, and that was back in March, and we, you know, had the draft, and you had obviously some off-season drama, some of it, you know, important, other stuff, whether it's Eric Dickerson and Beaver or, uh, you know, uh, Strip Club Ready slash Tavon Austin's Twitter <laughs> peccadillos, maybe not the most important stuff, but... There were some important things that you know that happened. The draft came and went. Uh, obviously, Deacon uh, passed away. Uh, uh, a legend, not only for the Rams but for the NFL. And you yeah. know, you, you look you look ahead to what's going on in the preseason, and it seems like it seems like things have gotten together. I think the the question now for the Rams is, as a young team that's had some significant turnover and not a subtle turnover, some pretty aggressive, significant turnover how that begins to come together. And I, I guess part of that is some of the battles that are going to have to play out.
0: Yeah. And I want to think, I want to go back. I want to start with something that, that stood out to me. I was reading the the new football outsiders all Night came out and not, the, we're not sponsored obviously on the show, as you can tell. Um, but you know, the, the football outsiders guys, if you don't pick up their, at least their annual, I, I highly recommend it. It's a really good read. If you like football, I mean, it gets a little technical at some points, but so if you're not into that thing, you can skip over some of that. But it's always it's always a really good read. And anyway, at reading through that, they point out a factor that is actually a pretty you know something that is taken a little bit for granted because there is so much excitement around the personnel moves that the Rams have made this year. But it's the inexperience, the team's inexperience, on particularly on the offensive skill positions this season. Have you have you thought about that three K?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of unavoidable when you've got a team this young and with as many undrafted free agents as they do. Uh, At at the same time, I think that uh, allows you, if you have the right kind of coaching staff, to mold guys into whatever kind of system you want to form on either side of the ball. And I think maybe that's one of the interesting things. And you you put that uh, post up from Bleeding Green Nation, our SB Nation community, for the Philadelphia Eagles, that talked about how the teams were assembled and looked at, you know, when the when what year each uh, team acquired those players in, and it's obvious that the Rams are skewing very young. You've got a team that has acquired everybody on the roster from 2008 or later, and you compare that to the 49ers that have, uh, I think it was 10 players that were brought on before 2008. And obviously, if you're on the team that long, or at least in the NFL that long, you you've got a role to play. And so I think it's interesting yeah. that you've got this – go ahead. I was just going to say you got this weird setup where the Rams are young and untested, but at the same time that allows a coach the flexibility to make them in his image.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, you look back at a lot of those play. I mean, those players from 2007, 2008 on those other teams that are a little further along than where the Rams are at this at this stage is – and that's, you know, those are their core players. Those are the – I mean, Patrick Willis for the San Francisco 49ers is an obvious example. Um, um you know Aaron Rodgers not to I mean to, to get really 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 far out there for the Packers. I mean a lot of those guys are you know those are the core players that have become you know the building blocks. Of the team. Not not that the Rams not to suggest that the Rams don't have that, but you don't have those established 4, 5 and 6 year veterans in the numbers that when you look at the, the teams at the top of the NFL, you know the the early picks for for the playoffs right now, you know that's what the Rams lack, and that's not to no fault of the current administration at Rams Park. As you know, the Sneed and Fisher administration
2: came in and had very little to work with, very, very, very little to work with. Absolutely, and and that was really the thing is that you, you only have so many opportunities to build back what 80% of the roster, and I think that's why when you look at it, if you for those of you guys that have read the post over Bleeding Green Nation. It lays it out. The Rams have more undrafted free agents than any other team in the NFL. They've got 42, That's right. and I think the next highest was 34, uh, the Jaguars and the Titans. Um, so you're, you're looking at a situation where they're trying to build the court. You've got guys, obviously, like James Laurinaitis, Chris Long, Sam Bradford, obviously Robert Quinn, Cortland Finnegan, Janoris Jenkins, some of the newer uh, pieces, and hopefully Jared Cook, Jake Long, and a couple of the rookies that we brought in can be a part of that. But, you know, you're kind of just grasping at straws, trying to put something together while while assembling pieces for the long run. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they meld a lot of those pieces, those underactive free agents, the lack of depth uh, behind the roster that, that's been held over from previous regimes. It's going to be interesting to see how they do it. Um, I was just going to mention, since we're on Blog Talk Radio, those of you who may be trying to call in from the old number things done changed the new number is 347-857-1022 get at us man um as van was talking though it's a it's a it's an interesting situation because with the inexperience there's not a ton to go off of right so you've got so many young guys that haven't gotten a lot of playing time you got a lot of rookies and one of those situations that we mentioned uh in the setup was looking at safety play and the fact that you know you had Quentin Michael and Craig Dahl last year—they're both gone. So we're kind of starting from scratch uh, at safety. Uh, what, what do you what do you think at this point? That may be the weirdest position yet to shake out for the team. What, what are you expecting to see from the safeties going through training? I'm go, uh,
0: well I, first. I'm going to go back to the inexperienced thing. I specifically want to talk no, about no, no. The, because the skill players on offense is where it's the most. I mean, you mentioned the safety, but Sure, on the whole the whole team, the whole roster, when you take a look at it, where the inexperience really adds up, and where you really worry about it is on is at the offensive skill position, running back and wide receiver specifically, because that's really where the Rams need to make a huge leap to get beyond the seven to eight win level, I mean the defense is there, the defense is good, yes, there's a hole at safety, um. But on the I mean, offensive side of the ball, this is a team that has to start scoring more points than it has in the last, I mean, since 2006, basically, where we've just sort of continuously been at the bottom of the league in terms of points per game. I mean, I think Sam Bradford's had, what, three games throughout his career where he's topped third, where they, the Rams have scored more than 30 points. And and so I look at that, and some of the numbers that kind of jumped out at me when reading this, and the football outsiders, guys, and not the the, the hang – Everything on Football Outsiders by any stretch of the imagination. But, I mean, I I think they do bring up a really good point about the experience factor. The running backs on the Rams roster right now have a total, a total of 529 career rushing yards. Ninety percent of those belong to Daryl Richardson, a second-year guy. Obviously, everybody knows Daryl Richardson. The receivers have a total, a total – now we're on the radio, so I have to emphasize keywords like total – with extra special emphasis like that. So
2: Verbal, italic. It,
0: absolutely. Bold, italic, whatever you want to do. 1,371 career receiving yards. <laughs> 1,371 career receiving yards out of all the wide receivers on the Rams roster. The majority, or at least the plurality of those yards belong to Chris Givens, the holdover from last year, second-year guy, fourth-round pick last year. <laughs> There are only, uh, check this out, there are only four teams since 1991, four teams that have a core of wide receivers and they're stable of running backs with less than 3,000 receiving yards and 2,000 running back yards. Four teams. All four of those teams did, had losing records.
2: It, I mean, it's certainly not a situation that you, you have anything to go on to expect success. I think the key for the Rams, and, and maybe the best stat, I, I haven't gotten into the FO guide yet, I got a copy of it today, is to see what were the other supporting pieces around them, right? So, with that much inexperience at wide receiver and running back, what were they set up for a quarterback? How was the offensive line? And in the case of the Rams, what I think makes it well, – what has so many people excited, not just about the Rams in the future, but for this season, is what did is the, the defense look like for those teams?
0: Right. Well, and, I mean, that's, you know, again, it's not a complete picture. And one of those teams was sure. – I think it was um, – I'm not sure the year. Uh, it's the 92 Patriots. So, obviously, you have Drew Bledsoe. I mean, so, there's a team with, you know, a solid, you know, upper echelon quarterback entrenched there. And you also have um you know the Trindle for Ravens on that list but and, and the good news is it, when you look at that and this is a point that that comes up with out of those four teams, three of them all had winning records the next year all went on to win and went made the playoffs the year after that so it's it's um it's just a way, and I worry less about the running back situation because, as we've talked about a thousand times on here, it's nice to have a guy like Stephen Jackson, it's nice to have a you know a superstar guy like that, but you know, obviously you can get by in the NFL today's NFL with you know running back's a much more fungible position than it used to be. You can get by with a stable of good players, not necessarily great players, but good players. And the Rams have some good candidates at running back. I mean, I think that's yeah. less of a worry than the wide receiver position itself, where you're leaning on. I mean, you, the Rams are coming into the season. This is this is a little worrisome to me when you stop and kind of pull back and 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 take off the fan glasses and look at it you've got an offense that's leaning on Tavon Austin, a rookie, a very good rookie, very talented player, but still a rookie. And, you know, to a certain extent, Chris Givens and Brian Quick, second two second-year guys behind Tavon Austin on the depth chart. Well, I mean, to kind important. of on the same point on the depth chart, but, you know.
2: Sure, sure. Those are, the I,
0: four, I, those are your top receivers.
2: And I think it's important to distinguish between Chris Givens and Brian Quick in terms of where they're coming from. Chris Givens... Got had a ton of playing time last year. It wasn't just the stats. It was the playing time, and I think we saw as the year went on, he went from somebody who was pretty much a speed threat early on and then a, right. a, a well-used speed threat that had that streak of catches over, I think it was 50 yards, uh, to five damage, finding five different roles. For,
0: yes, over 50 yards.
2: Yeah, I mean, the speed threat worked. And Sam and, and Chris did a great job at linking up and making some big plays. But then I think, you know, you saw maybe the last five six weeks that they started using Givens on some different route combinations and working him into the intermediate parts of the field. And, wh- you know, after those five weeks when that threat was established, he was able to run some hitches and some, some stuff where he yeah. was faking the deeper routes and, and make some moves off of that, you know, how much? How much should we be expecting him from year two? How much more growth is there to be had in a single off season from a guy that you know wasn't as hyped uh, through the draft, obviously with his draft placement, as Brian Quick? But at the same time, really expanded his role relatively quickly in year one. At the same time, you got a guy like Brian Quick who just didn't see much of the field at all. Uh, in his rookie year, especially not for where he was drafted, and given the learning curve that is required when you're coming from a school like Appalachian State, and not just the fact that he's coming from Appalachian State, but the quality of uh, opponents that he's facing and how much it forces him to learn on the field. You know, when you're facing quality cornerbacks every week in college at, you know, in ACC, SEC, Pac-12 play, you're you're going to grow pretty quickly as a wide receiver and learn a lot more than if you're playing guys that just don't have the quality of play from whoever Appalachian State plays. I don't want to upset our Appalachian State whatever conference <laughs> they're in their fans, but a you got a corner on the call tonight, so let's you know
0: let's uh, I think the, the Midwest. Day, yeah,
2: the Midwest South American Mountain Conference of the Northeast. Uh, <laughs> You know, you're just not going to get a ton of cornerbacks who are going to help elevate your play and kind of force you, you know, rising uh, tide lifts all boats where it's going to make those wide receivers better because they're facing quality opponents. Uh, So he's had a lot to take in, hopefully with that full year of experience and kind of not having to play through it and just kind of taking it from a uh, tutelage standpoint and being able to work through practice and keeping his head down. He hasn't, yeah, to his credit, he hasn't said a lot of things that, you know, fans and your pro football talk type outlets are going to hinge on, like Isaiah P. you know, with his comments about his first year. Brian Quick's just kind of been a part of the program and really kept his head down and gotten to work. But I think it's going to be interesting to see, especially for training camp at the preseason, what kind of a role he plays and if he's able to, you know, put anything on the field that suggests that he's made a big jump.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a guy, obviously, you you watch there. I'm going to go back to Chris Gibbons, because Gibbons, I mean, I think the good thing, the hopeful thing with Gibbons is that you notice when he really took off with the Rams, I mean, beyond just the deep threat stuff, when he really took off with the Rams is when he started when, with Danny Amendola on the shelf, you started to see Gibbons used in a lot of Amendola stuff. I mean, the plays that, you know, would have been Amendola plays otherwise without yeah. Gibbons on the field. And he did well with those. I mean, there's one yeah. – we linked to it a while back, and, and we linked to the video of it in a post on the site about Gibbons. And it's a really nice, it's a short, I mean, it's a six-yard gain. It's nothing pretty, but it's just a little catch over the middle that he makes, and he kind of hits a bad throw from Bradford, and he extends, and he, he scoops it in, and he falls down to make the catch. But, you know, it's a six-yard gain, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, Danny Amendola obviously made. Beloved in St. Louis because he was short, white, and, and therefore scrappy. That you know, Givens did the same stuff, and and, and that's a that's, that's a positive sign going forward for the Rams that you have a guy like Gibbons can do that. If he can build on that in his second season, Quick, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, you saw some you saw some really what the hell moments with Quick last year. I mean, that interception in the end zone was absolutely his fault. I mean, you know, it was just yeah. but it was just boneheaded mistakes. I mean, is that you know, do you learn from that? It's, it's, it's like a running back with fumbles. I mean, fumbles are a correctable problem. So there's catching the ball in the end zone and screening
2: out a cornerback when you're six foot five. But that's the thing, I think, is, uh, you know, in, in the NFL, and this is kind of speaks to that Appalachian State issue, where, you know, sometimes you make a mistake and it doesn't get capitalized on. When you're playing Patrick Peterson, I mean, he's, he's going to make the most out of your mistakes. And not only that, he's going to force you, to elevate your game. So it's not just an interception that was given to Patrick Peterson. Peterson just outplayed quick for that, for that's that right. deep route. Um, but that's just, uh, those are the guys that coming back. I think what makes it even more interesting is now you add Tavon Austin, Stedman Bailey, guys who have a rapport together. Um, and people forget how good Bailey was in college. Led, led the all of college, I think in yards gained and receptions, I think two years ago. Um, and in any case, he was a statistical leader. And part of that is the system, yeah. Holgerson runs a what? What? What kind of adjectives would you describe a Dana Holgerson offense? Full-throated, messy. <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean,
0: really. I mean, I guess air raid is probably the most appropriate way to to describe. Yeah, but that's being thing. rational.
2: Let's get let's get silly here. <laughs> a, a vodka-drenched <laughs> French pro- prostitute.
0: I tell you, you what, know, honestly, prostitute. at the combine, and this is and this is you'll see uh, you see it time and time again too, and you'll see it again when all the camp stories start coming out. It, NFL media is has a terrible group thing problem, a terrible group thing problem. I've been debating <laughs> all day with some other stuff I'm doing for SBNation.com uh, that the, the media world in NFL is convinced. I mean, you know, it's in Sports Illustrated's top writers are writing about that. Chuck that Chip Kelly, rather, is going to implement the same offense at Oregon or, you know, an NFL-sized version of it with – the Philadelphia Eagles, and so it's all this, will it work? Will it work? It's like chick Kelly is not going to institute an Oregon Ducks-style offense with Nick Foles, Michael Vick, and he damn sure ain't going to do it with Matt Barkley either, although Matt Barkley might actually (laughs) be the best candidate out of all those because he's a quick thinker, but neither here nor there, and that's sort of the group that you get with the West Virginia stuff. I can't tell you how many times you heard people refer to that as a spread option offense. So now instead of everybody <laughs> calling college offense a spread off the classic Big Twelve spread offense, they call it the option offense. Even though it's the same thing that you, know, you would see at you know, you saw at Oklahoma State <laughs> and uh use stoops and stuff like that. Or, you know, the leaked version of the air raid has somehow now morphed into the option, the read option offense because that's what the NFL like. I mean Geno Smith's not a read option quarterback. You know, when Geno Smith throws Five, six, seven-yard passes to guys like Stephen Bailey and Tavon Austin who take care of the rest for him. I mean, it's at any rate. At any rate, I digress because I think that's where Tavon Austin's good because you notice if you uh, you look at the numbers for Bradford and you you go back, I, you know, that awful Pat Shermer offense where it was just sort of that dink and dunk. They still don't throw the ball. They still don't stretch the field a lot with Bradford's arm.
1: Yeah, and I
0: think part thing awesome. because with the guys with Austin and Bailey. It's smart because these are guys that are that can do things well. Now obviously it's a little different in the NFL. I mean, Tavon Austin isn't gonna do what he did against Oklahoma and average, you know, nine yards per carry when he's working out of the backfield of the NFL. Same thing on, you know, receiving routes.
2: You but never know, man. You never know. Come on.
1: <laughs> well, obviously you
2: never know. That was that, that was right my St- that was my Stephen A. Smith. Right, <laughs> yeah, but you never know. <laughs>
1: But that's a
0: smart move about those guys. It's like these are finally have some guys that can get yards after the catch. Something we we beat over and over and over again on this show. When we do have this show semi-regularly, we talk constantly about yards after the catch. And these guys get yards after the catch.
2: Yeah, and I think what's interesting about Austin, and I've been trying to put my tape study on him together for turf show time. I went back and watched the games. I started doing clips. The problem is, it's hard to figure out uh, before seeing what the Rams are going to do, how they're going to create space for him. Cause that's one of the things about the air raid is it creates space for guys yeah. that need space for other guys like Stedman Bailey. It just lets them run into space. And, and so you've got some deeper routes for Bailey. You've got some possession stuff on, you know, third and five, and he's running seven yard digs, seven yard hitches. But for Austin, they're just kind of running him into space all over the field and relatively in relatively short uh, order, kind of a Pat Shurmur-ish issue, but only for one guy as opposed to the entire team. And the thing is, he just eludes everybody. And he's got agility, he's got acceleration, and obviously he's got top end speed. And so I think this is one of those things where, and this was kind of something I started talking about with the QB Big Board, but as the NFL evolves with more mobile quarterbacks and a lot of these kind of offensive weapons type guys, is that it's almost more on the coaching staff than it is the individual player to make sure that they get opportunities to use what it is they do well. So it's it's almost like giving them carries if they're a running back. You can't just put Tavon Tavon Austin on the field. You've got to put him on the field and scheme plays for him where he's got a chance to just uh, go one-on-one with a guy and then get down the line. And, and, it, and it requires some scheme adjustments.
0: Yeah, and that's the concern you have with the other parts of the roster so inexperienced is that,
1: you know, it, it's like
0: the old Steven Jackson conundrum you used to see with the Rams. It's like, well, there's only one player a defense has to worry about, and it was Steven Jackson. Well, is it going to be like that with the two the 2013 Rams? There's only one player you got to worry about. It's Tavon Austin. He ain't getting past Earl Thomas if it's just Avon Austin, the only the only guy on the Rams offense you got to worry about. You know what I mean? Sure. Players like that. I mean, you put, you, you put a Patrick Peterson, you put, you, you put guys like that on him, it's over. Because if the other guys can't carry that, then you're never going to create
1: the space for him.
2: And that's what, maybe that's one of the things that's interesting. I know we've got some other plays in the expectation that we have our first caller on the line. Uh, but one of the things that I think has been interesting about this offseason, partly because it's the Rams and they don't get a lot of national coverage, uh, part of it being that a lot of their moves were uh, not maybe as glamorous as other teams. Uh, but there have been two guys this offseason, one through the draft and one through free agency that they picked up that hasn't gotten a ton of talk, and that's Alec Ogletree from the draft, who I think addresses the defense and we're not really there yet. But on the offensive side, it's Jared Cook. Jared yeah. Jared Cook for what he's being paid it could be a monumentally a huge shift in how this offense operates, and we haven't seen a lot of discussion from that from the national media. And I mean, I think part of it it goes speaks to the Tavon Austin issue is who. It's hard to gauge what he's going to do, whether he was underutilized or misutilized with the Titans. The reality is the Rams need to do something different with him, and it's difficult to project what that's going to be before having seen. It.
0: Yeah, and thats I was a cook. I mean, that's the thing. You know, there's a guy that has the speed to stretch the seam down the middle. And that opens up a nice part of the playbook that, you know, Danny Amendola could do that song, But the Rams haven't had a tight end or, or really anybody that could work those middle routes like that since, you know, the glory days of Holton and, and Bruce.
2: It, it, and and, then the thing, is it? and
0: hopefully then that's something that opens up the field more. It's like, so you're not exactly. really putting exactly. the offense on Tavon Austin's shoulders per se, but what you have are the sum of the parts are greater than any one parts. Like where you look at, you know, what somebody on Twitter the other day compared the 2013 Rams to, the, you know, the the 2011 Bengals with Andy Dalton and AJ Green as rookies. Well, we don't have anybody like AJ Green. Now, Tavon Austin's a special player, hopefully, and is a, but he's a different kind. He's a different kind of guy than AJ Green. So hopefully the Rams, you know, the idea is I think that the Rams have to be greater than the sum of their parts, so that you've got Jared Cook, Tavon Austin, Seddon Bailey, and whatever kind of other and Chris Givens and whatever other mix of wide receivers that you have on the field that can kind of stretch it, and either you know maybe then that means you're opening up holes for Daryl Richardson better because you're spreading out a defense more, or maybe that means you're opening up the middle of the field a little bit more for Trayvon Austin because the defense also has to be concerned with you've got to put a man on givens, you got to put a – got to leave a safety back, you've got to – you know what I mean? It's just that sort of yeah, – the The
1: total picture versus the focus on one or two guys on the offense.
2: And I think that's kind of what it's going to have to be this year. I mean, they just don't have the, the top quality guys, and that's kind of where you let off with was they don't have the – Skill players at those positions, running back and wide receiver, outside of maybe Tavon Austin to really explode the game. Well, Van, what do you think? We, we got our outline. We can hold fast to that and knock out some more of this expectation stuff before getting into the training camp, or we've got a caller. Sir, as the manager Let's, of third
0: putting take your life on the line, this
2: is a life or death decision. All right? Do you, do you understand how big this is? Let's.
0: To, let's take some calls. Let's get one question in so we can move through. we got a lot to talk about, 3K. It's a
2: big weekend. It's that kind of managerial experience that's going to see you to be become the head of General Motors in a thriving American metropolis like Detroit. I applaud you, and I look forward to your future as the head of one of America's <laughs> greatest industries.
1: So we're bringing in a caller from the
2: 618. Yeah, of course, of course. What's going on from the 618?
3: You're on Tertial Radio. What's up? It's your favorite line eye, Joe. It's Brandon. How are you today? Mark, 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 Mark,
1: Mark,
3: Mark, Mark, bark. What's up, Mark?
1: How y'all doing?
2: That's gonna be my that's gonna be my thing. I'm gonna show up I'm gonna show up in the line eye game and you're gonna look up at the scoreboard one day, I'm gonna be dressed up like a big old dirty Louisiana chicken, me and my cousin Bones, we all come up. Bark, Mark, 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 What's up, Mark? No, what's going on?
3: Not much. guys. not much at all. But I wonder if Because it's just because of what Ryan was talking about earlier, of how to create space. I think Ryan was kind of on the right track for some of the parts. I think the whole idea for the rams offense is going to be, yes, we don't have one guy who we can just depend on to, like, get open, beat anybody. Like, we can depend on you to run any route. It's like you said, Devon Austin's not A.J. Green. But what we do have is we have a bunch of guys that we can spread that field out with. You have Givens, of course. You have Jared Cook. Pettis even can be solid. Quick, and then you have Tavon, who's going to be able to do a lot. For instance, we're playing Seattle. They always play this cover three, as we all know. Say you run Cook deep, run Givens deep, and then you're going to create space just by having those three guys have to go deep and cover them. Then you're just going to have, to have people beat the short routes. It's going to be a lot. I think the offense is going to be a lot about just timing, running guys deep, different depths, having different options on play, and hopefully Sam Bradford. I think it's going to depend a lot on Sam Bradford and his reads this year.
2: I was going to say, if you, if the thing is, if you, if you throw so many components into an offense where you actually have to pay attention to them, where the reads are that important, is that too much for Sam Bradford? And, and does that kind of throw off one of the one of the biggest uh, positives of this off season was that Sam was able to maintain some chemistry, which he hasn't had in his first couple of years in the league. Same offensive coordinator, same head coach. Same quarterback coach situation. He was finally given a chance to really bring back a lot of the guys from the from the coaching staff to really help him along. So I'm interested to hear what both of you guys thinking in terms of. And we've talked about whether whether or not this is a make a break year for Sam. But I wonder if maybe the complexity of the the some of these parts is going to make it almost a new offense again. I think it is.
0: I mean, it already sounds like it is. And to listen to. You know, I had a chance – I in uh, in May I went to Los Angeles for the NFLPA event with the rookies out there, and I had a good chance to sit down with Austin and Bailey and talk quite a bit. And to hear Tavon Austin talk about it, it was I mean, it was a new offense to him. But a lot of the concepts and a lot of the things they were doing within that offense are not what they did last year, and it was mostly because they just didn't have those guys. I mean, you sure. had Given and you had Amandola and you mostly had one or the other on the field at the, either time, and then you know you kind of had Brandon Gibson and Jared and, and, and Lance Kendricks that were sort of your only other semi-reliable, solid receivers that could catch. The You're ball.
2: forgetting Steve Smith, Van. Uh, exactly, yeah,
0: uh, I know. How uh, you forget
2: Steve Smith?
0: But you know, and to listen to Tavon Austin talk about it when, it. when was the last time? I mean, just look at the, think of the backfield thing. Oh, well, no, I don't think Austin probably gets more than 40 or 50 carries out of the backfield in, in the end. But, I mean, running a receiver out of the backfield, lining up a receiver in the backfield, I mean, this is a team that ran more than 50% of its plays with one back in the backfield. I mean, this is it's a different offense. It's a different offense, even if the terminology is the same. There's new things in the playbook that they did not do last year.
2: Burke, what do you think? Obviously, there's plenty of turnover, but you sound like you're optimistic about the
3: capability to be able to handle it. I mean, I am a little bit, but, I mean, a point you have to make is offense offenses always evolved. There is never one offense that stays the same year after year, even looking at the Chip yeah. Kelly offense at Oregon. It evolves every year with what team you have. And then just the experience that your players have, it changes every year. You can't keep the same offense or else you're going to fall behind. So the evolution is always going to take place. And you're going to have the same terminology, same some basic same concepts. The thing I fear is last year, there was two things we basically depended on, and that was Steven Jackson running and Danny Amendola on those short routes, and now we don't have either of those guys. So as R- Ryan says, it's more so than other offenses. This is a brand-new system, So almost. So it's going to be difficult to see how it is, especially when we're going to be depending on our most veteran wide receiver our most tenured receiving option is Austin Pettis. Like that's, <laughs> that's what we're working with.
1: <laughs>
3: we're right. And, and you know, things,
0: the one positive I'll throw out here, and this is sort of, and this too is a little bit of an unknown, but ideally you have, ideally you have the kind of offensive line in place. Finally, that will allow Sam Bradford to make leads and go through a procession again for with his receivers and the some of those
2: parts on the field like that.
0: Which and is something kind of what that I was hasn't gonna... been there
2: in the last three years. Yeah, and that's maybe what I was going to go through is the fact that you have Danny Amendola and Steven Jackson as those crutches to lean on. And I don't know that I've seen this before, but do you guys think maybe that held him back that – that as those crutches he wasn't forced to maybe, imp- not necessarily improvise, but, but stretch the offense more and do those kind of things in a gradual way. I'm not saying he needs to go hyper Peyton Manning on everybody, but do you think maybe having those fallbacks in Amendola and Jackson curtailed
3: his development a bit? Hmm. I mean, it's tough to say because part of the NFL now is running those short little routes just- nice quick little offense a lot of teams do that it's a big part of the game but then of course he did throw a deep last year of course chris Gims, as we all know with the deep ball i mean he started to see a lot more of that last year but i think what hurt more is his first couple years that was the extreme last year it opened up a bit which i think you got to see some of bradford's better talent when you give him some protection of his downfield throws but i would have liked to see more but i mean you can't it's kind of like a point that's hard to talk about because you can't blame the offense for doing that because you still have to run an effective offense like as best you can because of course we weren't like <laughs> anything you would call effective last year. So, well, well, who do we blame? Because we need to schedule. I mean, you know be in Walker half the too. I mean, has... one
0: thing you got to think about with the Rams offense is they did a much better job in the second half. Bradford did a better job. The line did a better job in the second half of the
2: season. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say that line, I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. I think that was really the key, and that that's maybe your segue is to, to start talking about this line because I think that's something that we really need to address uh, throughout training camp. And we will, obviously, at certain Times, but I think this is – and we we talked about the Boudreaux the Boudreau magic stick or whatever we called it last year, the touch of magic, that we've gone from a team that really didn't have an offensive line that, A, you could scheme around because you knew you wouldn't be able to get seven-step drop passes off, but now you're having to do that because you got not only given to the deep guy, but you've got some options in the offense where if the offensive line's good enough you can do some crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the, but you know, the offensive line is a little bit of an unknown too, because you've got Exact yeah. Jake Long, Roger Saffold, Harvey Dahl, and Scott Wells all were injured at one point or another last year, all missed time with injuries last year. I know for a fact three of those guys had I think they all had a surgery of some sort in since the start of training camp last year.
3: Yeah, another point but I, I think I want to bring up too about specifically Dahl and Wells is Dahl specifically last year regressed greatly to what he used to be in Atlanta in parts of his first year here in St. Louis, especially in pass protection. And then Scott Wells, of course, you have to, we don't know because he was injured so much last year, but he, you can't think he's going to get back to Pro Bowl form. So it's sort of an unknown, actually, in the middle, because then even at left guard, we don't know. Are we going to have Chris Williams, who's just a, at this point considered an NFL draft bust, or Shelly Smith, are going to start? Like, we don't know we're going to get in the middle. On the outside, it seems to be pretty solid. but, again, those guys are injury prone. So it's kind of a mystery still for the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. It has the potential expected.
0: to be a really good oh. unit. It has the potential. And there's more depth, finally, too. I think that's one positive. I mean, you saw a little bit of that last year. And and there's better depth this year. You've got, you know, Barry Noah Jones, Goldberg. No Goldberg? Well, <laughs> exactly. Goldberg. <laughs> and when you've got young guys, not just, you know, guys off the street, either. you've got Chris Williams, who I think is, is an interesting Boudreau candidate because he is a guy that, you know, he has – you know whether or not he has first round talent. He had enough talent to get picked on the first day of the draft by a team, even the Bears at, at one point. And he and he showed some moxie playing guard in Chicago and a little bit in in St Louis last year too. But not very many snaps. There's some potential there, obviously. Shelley Smith, a guy with some potential to at least be, I think, an average starter. Barrett Jones, I like Barrett Jones a lot. I don't think he's ever going to be your power guard that you want, but I think he has the, the stuff to be a really good center. In the NFL And you know There's finally They have that Sort of I mean that's What allowed Them obviously To let Rob Turner walk Away who did A really nice Job filling in At center And left The away guard But in Center he did A really great Job filling in For Scott Wells last Year
2: Yeah I Thought he did As well I think the X factor that You guys both Brought up Was Barrett Jones Um I guess the other point I would make is I never trust a man named Shelley, but I'll, I'll leave that for what it is. Um, but, yeah, Barry, I think right now they've got him listed as a guard on the roster slash depth chart. So I'm interested to see if that means maybe he'll get some time at left guard going into camp and, and into the preseason. We got a good comment from Smith on the open thread at TST that, you know, perhaps the key word to this season on offense is patience. And I, I wonder if, and he, he talks about it, he, is that something that we still have? I mean, you talk about guys like Sam Bradford, Austin Pettis. Is there still patience left enough for this offense? We, I mean, by Week Ten, Van, people were giving you the go, the runaround every time you asked a question about Sam Bradford. I, I don't. I don't know that we are capable of maintaining patience for this team and this offense uh, all that long. Well,
0: I mean, you just, you have to be patient for. I mean, you know, you've got to you now week at week sixteen you should have infinitely less patients than you should in week one week two. But it's you know, there's a there's a sliding scale of patience required there. And, you know, Lord willing, the injury factor doesn't, you know, throw it all into the into the garbage
2: disposal again like it has in so many years past for the RAM. do, do people still have garbage disposals in their home? I and this is a question coming for you, Burke. <laughs> A random aside, I remember growing up we had a garbage disposal. Do you have one of those growing up, there? Yeah.
3: I, you know, and I have one at my I place. My father
0: was a contractor, so we don't we never had him because he hated the damn things. But we, I had one in this house. It was where I live now, and I, it was it was all right, but it was a constant sort of gross because I was always having to pick like you know bottle caps and plastic milk wrappers and shit like that out of it. So I, I'm <laughs> mostly against garbage disposals.
2: Burke, what, what is it? we'll take a we'll take a page from John Boyce. What, what is your opinion on garbage disposals? <laughs> They're pretty cool. Like I mean, <laughs> I've always had them. <laughs> <Pretty>. <laughs> They're there. <laughs> like, yeah, I just wanted it was just random aside. I, and one point I would make in terms of what you mentioned earlier that you can't run the same system uh, offensively; that you have to be flexible. Nick Saban would take absolute objection to that. He will fit any round peg into a square peg system and do it better than anybody
3: you've ever known. Um,
2: <laughs> just as a regular basically. Make
3: way. Do what? Me and Nick Saban are basically the exact opposite when it comes to football strategy and ideas.
2: I think History. I think Nick Saban and everybody <laughs> is the exact opposite when it comes to football, but no, he's, got, miles, he's got he a
3: way
2: of, <laughs> Well, less less miles is the people's champion. It is what it is. Bringing <laughs> bringing it back to the Rams, though. Oh, I got
0: one one quick question for you, man. Before before you before you before we, before you before you duck out and go enjoy your Friday night, I want to ask you one thing: Why? Have you not been to the bank to talk to Ron Zook yet? (laughs)
3: Because it's in Florida? (laughs) Still, I can do a lot of things. Can't go to Florida (laughs) just to talk to Zook. (laughs) But his number, I do feel like calling him. His number is available on the website. (laughs) Call
0: him and ask Call him up and ask him what what you could get. First of all, what could I get for, what kind of car loan could you give me for a, a used car comparable? to the Illinois teams you coached, which I think would probably be approximately like a $2,000, $2,500 deal.
2: But... <laughs> the sad yeah, thing you mean, is nineteen eighty eight Buick with that he might, he might take that question seriously. Like he might <laughs> say, well, you know, 1996 uh, started a uh, remedy. You know, he might take that accent, that question actually seriously. Burke, one more question before you drop, man. The weather, how, how are you holding up? It is warm outside. I don't know if you've noticed. It is not cold, but how has your life been affected? We, we've, been, we've been talking about the heat all this week on Twitter. Uh, let's bring it into the podcast. How are you adjusting to heat wave 2013 Sharknado heat? I mean,
3: out here up in Illinois, I mean, it's not much hotter than it usually is. I mean, it is what it is. You get 90s some humidity. I mean, just get used to it. Steal with it. I was playing soccer yesterday. Probably sweated half my body weight. I'm just You just have to fight through it, Joe. And you know what god, god bless you and god bless your big ten
2: sincerity that was about as big kind of an answer as you possibly get the weather is weather and we will deal with it i appreciate it burke we love you have a great weekend be safe my friend
1: burke take care buddy
3: all right see you guys good stuff from Rick, the I, Always- You
0: now now washington you are in the midst of now it's in missouri it's Low 90s and humid. It was hot last year too, but it wasn't as humid as it was last year. But it's usually pretty humid here because it's, you know, I think like the devil's cornhole or something like that. But <laughs> I know, I know, DC is just like absolutely the worst in terms of weather.
2: Are you, yeah, are you well, holding up okay? I I am, I, I, and I'll say this. I, I looked into it a bit this morning. We were talking about it at my job. It's there's something weird about the way the weather works and i don't know if it's a geographic thing or what but i was looking into humidity and trying to educate myself a bit on this system and and there's something weird about the way humidity affects this area so we're talking about st louis right now in st louis i'm looking at weather.com it's 86 degrees 63 percent humidity it feels like 92. my family uh mostly comes from baton rouge louisiana uh, right there uh, down in central Louisiana, lovely part of the country, by the way, uh, 81 degrees, 73% humidity, feels like 85, so higher humidity, only 4 degrees difference on the heat index, you guys in St. Louis, and I say you guys, you, you know, generally because I know you're not a St. Louis fans, uh, 63% humidity, uh, 6 degrees. Improvement on the heat index. And this is what's weird about Washington, D.C., and I don't understand it. We'd love to have Bill Nye on here to explain this. Eighty-nine degrees, Washington, D.C., 61% humidity. It feels like 102. What the, What is that? How does that work? How does the heat it, just pull? It, it's like the cesspool of Congress just sucks in all the hot and just leaves us a weird valley. There is heat.
0: no – there is never a breeze, a summer breeze in D.C., It's like, I mean, I, you know, I lived there two years. I can remember there was never a summer breeze in D.C. So from like mid-May until September, the wind would never blow to at least help, like, you know, move the air around for you. So it was just like. It's just weird. Like,
2: uh, of those three, St. Louis, D.C. and Baton Rouge, I mean, Baton Rouge got the higher humidity. I'm used to humidity. I'm used to sticky air. This is a sticky air that's been, like, infused with sriracha Vapor, and it does. It, it's like you breathe it in, and, and you start just like coughing, like ash. Like, well, <laughs> what? It, yeah. it's a it's a strange swamp. <laughs> this is a weird swamp, and it makes sense given how popular our modern federal government is. That it's built in an area where just heat collects. It's it's kind of like the bottom of a drainage system where everything collects, and it. it's a filter for all the other crap that passes through our atmosphere, symbolic <laughs> and literal. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a uh, interesting it's, it's place. Brutal. Now, we could we could complain about the heat all day, but I know uh, I know that uh, we'll get a bunch of crap for that. So, but well, we should let's just nope. you know move on a little bit
2: here. Move on. No complaining about the heat, we're America, but everybody out there, it's going to be a hot weekend yet again. Stay safe. We'll get we'll get through it. If you need something to cool off, just just let the vapors of the Rams offense cool you off. There's nothing more unhot. In the Rams' offense over the past couple of years. But we've talked a decent amount of, uh, about the offense, Van. What do you think? How do, how do we switch this over to the defense?
0: I, you know what? I want to go back to the safeties. I think that's a big deal. I mean, I think we talk about this Rams' defense is a good unit. It's, it's, it's better. To, I mean, the, you look at the trio of starting linebackers they have now, and it's it's something to really get excited about that front seven. But then you get to the safeties, and it's, and it's and you start to worry a little bit because your most senior safety is, Darian Stewart, undrafted free agent from the Spagnolio era, Um, led the league in missed tackles in 2011, the only season he ever got, or broken tackles rather, led the league in broken tackles and just played 13 games. It was the most NFL experience he has had in his career. It's a little concerning.
2: Well, I would say it's more than a little concerning. I'd say it's very concerning. Um, Yeah, I
0: was being dramatically understated on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think whether it's uh, Stewart, you talked about, I saw in the uh, post-dispatch, you know, Quentin Michael is likely not to sign, uh, having drawn some interest from some other teams. you got T.J. McDonald, obviously, who they brought in through the draft, but even beyond him, there's not a ton of guys that you can feel all that excited about uh, filling the slot. It's kind of one of those placeholder years. I know a lot of people are probably going to fall in love with Matt Daniels, if they haven't already, and Cody Davis, the Texas Tech undrafted free agent but it's one of those things where you're grasping on Charles and hoping that somebody can come in and play the position capably. I think the difference is, uh, you know, and, and you talked about it quite a bit, Michael was pretty comfortable in the box and relatively productive and reliable. The problem was that we didn't have anybody kind of taking the cap off the defense, and when you've got a pass rush as prolific and as successful as the Rams was last year and you've got a quarterback stable that it was as good as they were and competent uh, you know yeah. you'd like to see them have the safety coverage where Janoris Jenkins isn't playing six seven eight yards off the wide receiver on third down and four because he feels comfortable in the defense the scheme feels comfortable that the safeties can keep the back uh relatively protected that's never going to happen when you have Craig Dahl back there
0: no and you go back and you look at their play action numbers and the Rams had um did not do well against the play action pass and that's usually i mean usually that's a good sign and they gave up a league um a, one of the highest completion percentages and well, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now but they had one of the highest completion percentages of the league and they gave up more deep passes than any other team now you know they, to some extent they could kind of afford that a little bit because of the, of the pass rush was better and they could sort of control teams that with that they could they could do a little damage up front but you know that's a problem. I mean, you know this is a—it's more and more a play-action misdirection league, even more now for all the "quote unquote" option quarterbacks we talk about. That's
1: that's a huge deal. I
0: mean, that's that's a big concern that you don't have—you don't have a good, solid, deep coverage guy that you know frees up the rest of your defense to to really put the screws onto the other team's skill
1: players like that.
2: Absolutely. And one one of the things I've talked about, uh, especially as this gets hotter and hotter, is the topic with the zone read option. Uh offense. As many people talk about the scrape exchange, and for those of you that are interested in that, I've begun working in very, very formative stages on a uh, what is, what do we call it? The playbook projector uh, series for circle In terms of defending the zone read option. The scrape exchange is important. But to me, it's all about safety play, and I saw that Peter King on his new site one of your one of your favorite NFL scribes um, <laughs> it, it, is going to address defending the zone read option and focusing on how safety uh, play is involved. Michael Shoddy from Bleacher Report one of the and I'll say it I'll go on the record one of the few quality writers uh, that they have at Bleacher Report put together a decent piece in terms of defending the zone read option and, and honed in on just that At that, how crucial the safety play is to defending that. And knowing that the Rams have to face the 49ers and the Seahawks uh, four games this season, you know, safety play is not just something that you can overlook for the Rams. And I think it's maybe not troubling, but I think there's concerns that need to be warranted and, and that that's a situation that has to be addressed going into this season yep. early to make sure we get it together. Yeah.
1: And
0: I think I feel I do feel a little bit better with some of the misdirection stuff because you do have a much better trio of linebackers now. With with I think with those mobile, moving guys like Dunbar and Alex Ogletree. I mean, those they're fast guys. They see the ball really well. They can move around the field really well. And even if they are a little bit out of a posi- out of position, they have enough sort of you know against most opponent against most you know offensive players that they'd be going up against. They have the skills to sort of even correct themselves a little bit on the fly. And that's a big help because that also leaves James Lornado to to do less moving because he's not a mover. He's not a mover. He's that big middle line, thumping middle linebacker type player, which is good for the run defense. And especially now that they have the defensive tackle situation so positive now, that'll help those guys. And that helps against those read option. And then, in the play action passes a little bit, but you still there's still a big hole in safety. I mean, the linebacker's only going to drop so far into coverage against Percy Hart and, and, and you know guys sure, like that. Exactly.
2: And Ogletree can move. I mean, if there if there are issues that people have with Ogletree, it's not going to be his movement that the, the, the dude can fly. But I think you know today we got an interesting uh, new signee slash returning to the team and Will Witherspoon. I'm interested to see. It seems like there's been uh, a pretty big focus on. Uh, returning to, you know, some linebacker changes uh, for the defense between Ogletree as a, as a high draft pick and then obviously bringing back Witherspoon. I'm interested to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, and I just want to go back. Yeah, me too, and I think that's good to have finally have smart, you know, veteran depth like that behind those younger guys like that. I mean, I think if you lose either one of your outside linebackers, you know, you've got a good guy like Witherspoon that can at least come in and, and, and keep it. At league average play again in, in conjunction with two above average linebackers next to him, I think that's a positive. Now, I, I guess I wonder a little bit with that about T.J. McDonald. I mean, three K, you know about T.J. McDonald. You've seen the tape. Obviously, he's he's a hitter. I mean, he's a big hitter. You saw that game against Stanford where he actually got suspended for sure. it. Um, you know, that's probably going to call it and get him a few penalties in the NFL if he if he can't kind of learn to rein that in a little bit, especially with the rule changes but you know he's a smart guy i like that i he's not a, he's not a guy that you looks like you want to play him in coverage he's not a guy that looks like you want to leave him out on an island 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage by himself yeah it's going to be interesting in the box guy
2: yeah exactly i mean it's interesting I, I he's one of those guys that had a natural skill set for that but it's almost as if his instincts uh bring him you know, towards the ball and towards the line of scrimmage. Uh, I'm really going to be interested to see how they do that. I think it depends on, excuse me, how they want to play out the other safety position. And that's one of those things I guess we'll just have to figure out throughout a a training camp uh, moving forward. But uh, like like we mentioned earlier, the reality is the Rams have a strong enough pass rush and quality at linebacker and certainly quality at cornerback, where you're you're really looking for some basic responsibilities at safety that's going to make the defense good enough to uh, not not just improve but hold down this team moving forward. Um and I know we've gotten a bit off the schedule, but and we talked about what to look at in camp. One of the things that I'm interested in is the schedule, uh, if if you're willing to turn there, Van, what do you think? What's that now? Looking at the schedule, at least the first couple the regular of weeks of the
0: season schedule. schedule.
2: Yeah, I mean I think the preseason obviously the opponents aren't all that important. We've got Cleveland on the road, Green Bay at home, Denver no, on the road at the road. You know, it's more. You've got to, A lot of it is just playing time to whittle down the the roster, as it always is, and some of it is getting a lot of your core guys ready for the regular season. But I think it's an interesting first three games, and that's really what I'm looking at those those first three games uh, versus Arizona, at Atlanta, and then traveling to my hometown of Dallas, Texas, hopefully to beat the Cowboys, beat the snot out of the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a that's a great first three games to really put this season. Uh, on track of where it needs to go, whether that ends up being the the good way and a good track, which we all hope it does, or a bad track, and we kind of have to recalibrate. But I think that's the right thing that we need. You've got a game at home against Arizona. We saw what we did against them last year. It's a late game. You've got uh, everything going the Rams' favor for this one, despite the fact that Arizona picked up Carson Palmer you know, I, I think that sets up well. You've got to travel to Atlanta, one of the best teams in the NFL, and obviously the Steven Jackson storyline will yeah. will be well worn out by Sunday, September 15th. And then I think maybe the most overhyped team in the league is the Cowboys, and I know you saw it as the NFL editor, uh, Kenny uh, Kenny's uh, piece for the unpower rankings and, and yeah, dropping the I Cowboys don't... deep into, what, the top eight, I think, is one of the worst teams in the league. I think that's a good a good mix of a game you should win, a game you'll probably lose, and then one of those maybe 50-50s that should set the Rams on a course moving into a long, early stretch before they got the bye week. Uh, I think it really sets up well.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because then you come back in week four, and, you know, that game against Dallas, it, 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 they've got Dallas, and then they've got a short week because it's, they come home short. and they have a Thursday night game against the 49ers, too. So another tough game against, you know, um, two weeks after they play Networks, the Falcons.
1: I think the Falcons. Out of those three games, the one I really, I'm, I'm really interested to see is. I mean, in
0: my mind, this team has advanced far enough, and even just on paper, it's they it should beat the Cardinals at home in St. Louis, rather, and they should beat the Cowboys even on the road. I mean, the Cowboys obviously are not don't win a lot at home, or they haven't lately. And I just don't, I don't see the Cowboys as a a fundamental, a team on the way up, and the, the Cowboys are notorious for losing games that you know anyway I, I think the rams are a better team than i the one i'm really interested to see is the falcons game it's in atlanta falcons are a tough team i think that's going to be one where the secondary really gets really we really get a good taste of the secondary because you've got you know maybe the best young receiver in the nfl right now my certainly my favorite julio jones and roddy white who's no slouch himself and then you've even got tony gonzalez who can still at 80 years old or whatever he is can still do some damage to a
2: defense. And not only that, I think what's interesting is looking at it from Atlanta's perspective, I know it's a modern NFL and nobody takes anybody for granted, but you look at their first four games. Their first game is at New Orleans, then they bring St. Louis into Atlanta, then they go to Miami, and then they've got New England at home. So out of those four games, if there's a trap game to be had, you could argue it's probably the Rams.
0: Oh, absolutely, and that's one I mean, that's one of those games I think is interesting for the Rams, too, just because it's like, you know, that's one of those games where the Rams are a team now where if they get the, a turnover or two in their favor, and this is what I think was positive was positive and also a little deceptive about the Rams of 2012, is if they can get a turnover in their favor, it's it's a winnable game for them, and, and that's that, and something totally that you know, maybe better. you can do that with the Falcons with that pass rush, because if you look at the Falcons... Yeah, The biggest area I'd be worried about as a Falcons fan is their offensive line.
2: Probably. But, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the early schedule just to make sure that we realize what it is. It's not just the preseason and the roster moves, and obviously as much as I love the draft, we got real football coming up, man. And, and I was watching tonight they had on the uh, New Mexico Bowl between Arizona and Nevada, and I was watching some of that tape on the Austin tape. I miss, I miss meaningful football, Dan. I miss it a lot. Absolutely. Like a lot, a lot.
0: Absolutely. I, mean,
2: Great. I was joking around. Um, I, was
0: thinking, I was thinking that today. It's like, you know, I, I'm super excited about training camp. I could care less about the preseason games. But although it is nice to see the players out on the field, you know, running plays and things like that because it starts to give you a sense of who the team is. But I'm sure. excited to – I, I love it. I love the start. I love it when it comes back. And then, of course, like, you know, by August 5th, you're so, like, ah, oh, training camp, let's get on with it.
2: And then, of course, by December, we're all exhausted, and it's time to just hibernate. Um, but hopefully <laughs> this year that involves – we'll see. I mean, maybe we set up. We were close. We, we had some we, – we put it like this. We were on the postseason graphics for – uh the, the networks that were showing football games. The Rams had crept into graphic state. Is that is that the state before making the playoffs is that you're in the graphics? We we had made it's it pretty, last year I would say it's
0: pretty positive. I mean it's not uh yeah. it's and you know and even too that's uh, the Rams are becoming a little and this worries me a little bit when you're when you become the trend you pick.
2: Yeah, and I I think that was one of the things that kinda of worked against them last year is that the or excuse me two years ago was that the the trajectory was so high, and Sam was coming off, yeah. you know, offensive rookie of the year, but the pieces weren't quite in place to support him at wide receiver and offensive line. If Donna has not fix that, obviously the defense is miles ahead. Well, you know, I think one of the big things, and I'll just throw this out there as an aside because I don't think we need to go deep into that right now, but one of those things is who's going to disappoint this year? You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, Every team thinks that they've improved by leaps and bounds every offseason, but yeah. who's right for disappointment this year? And I'm not sure I know who that is, but I think it's something we're going to need to investigate as an editorial team. Um, but I think yeah. we're set up for a good year at Tertial Times. Do you want to kind of address the team changes maybe as a reset, since this is Season 5, Episode 1 of Show Radio? I say that with such an esteemed voice. <laughs>
0: we just we you know he's got a great year on tap we've got a good stable of uh you know obviously on it's uh it's gradually which was always sort of my vision with it it's gradually transitioning into a wide variety of ram-centric voices on the site I'm yeah, i'm really thankful for that i mean obviously because i you know my world has changed a little bit and it's it's just good to have that you know we've got you and doug kind of at the at the table with the Joint Chiefs of Staff there, and you've got we've got a couple good guys and good editors coming up with Brandon and Brandon, and uh, a good group of writers on the side. I'm pretty excited about it. We, we'll just, you know, obviously, as usual, we'll have everything covered left, right, upside down, and every which way but loose on the side, like we always do, and, and even sure. better than we used to do it.
2: And a young baby-faced social manager and Daniel Dolan. Any That's good organization right. we got to remember our
0: social face. guy. He's the social media guru. The guru. Whether, like who that. is
2: it? Cali at SB Nation, Daniel, Fertusha. You. It's 2013. You've got to have a baby-faced social manager, kid. This is the way you, you run a business in 2013.
0: It's the young folks. The young folks are carrying us. The young folks are carrying We're like the Rams 3K. The young folks are carrying the aging veterans.
2: And, and then you've got to make sure that that you demand metrics that you don't understand. Well, let me see the metrics. I need those in the metrics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Give me the
2: what is this uh, bounce rate? Yeah, that's that's good and bouncy. <laughs> all right, keep it up, keep bouncing them out. Um, oh, we I got understand one late the metrics caller.
0: all too well.
2: There you go. We got one late caller. I figure we should bring in for propriety from the 209. What's going on? here on Church Show Radio. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, Nazi. Pretty good. I knew How are you, I knew doing, you doing, my man? I knew when you dropped that comment that you couldn't get on. Tried and tried. I was like, "Come on, man! You you just got to believe. You got to believe in Turson Radio." Can you hear me? Yeah, Yeah, of course. Can Can you hear mind? Sorry,
4: sorry. Hey, yeah, I'm a huge fan, but I was wondering, how big of a deal do you think Craig Dahl going to the Niners? I can't stand the Niners. You think that's going to make a big impact on, you know, him knowing our playbooks and stuff like that?
0: No, I mean, I, I, you know, I I mean, that's every team has that. The Rams have brought in, you know, the Rams have brought in guys from opponents that they are playing that year. We've got guys on the team. It's not, I mean, you know, a team's going to be, a team is going to meticulously watch every second, every snap of video on their opposing teams. And especially a team like the 40, especially teams like the 49ers are going to be as well prepared as they can possibly be. I think, if anything, we should be rooting for Craig Dahl to get on the field because we that will just almost guarantee that <laughs> we can capitalize on a Craig Dahl if they beat the 49ers. Great. And uh, yeah. stopping Kaepernick. Uh, just a quick
2: question be before you get to your second question. Who was who this calling? Because I thought you were Noxie. Who is this? Oh, my name's Alex. Hey, what's up, man? All right. Making sure. I thought it was Nox Van Van. I, I got thrown off. I saw him in the comments. We had a call. I thought it was Noxie, and then I was like, Noxie? Wait, wait, wait. This, this, somebody's being too logical and too rational to be, to be Noxie. There's another guy <laughs>
4: from
0: 209 that talks,
2: that calls up. There you go, man.
0: I don't know, because Noxie just sort of floats around. I mean, Noxie, you know, he might be calling in from Timbuktu one day, so you never know. Noxie might, so noxie, noxie might
2: be knocking on my door in the next two hours. You never know what Noxie meant. You never know yeah, how or he when he's going to yeah. show
4: up. That's right. <clears throat> Um, how big are you guys on uh, Ogletree? You think he's gonna make a big impact his first year?
0: I do. I, do. What do you I think, think he's really. Yeah. I think he's a great fit, and I think he's. You know, one thing. Um, it, there wasn't a lot said about it, but it, the Rams were sort of, sort of switched from that strong their strong side, weak side linebacker to left and right side linebacker, and then some to some extent that's the matchup. You know, that's just another way of saying well, we're just gonna play these guys on the matchup, but. Ogletree's going to get matched up against tight ends a lot. And that's I like that because he's a converted safety. He's a good – he's a He's a really – he's like Weatherspoon in Atlanta. He's a really good guy in coverage. He can really defend that. I, I like what he brings to the – what he brings to the team. Oh, you know, everything
4: that, that – I'm sorry. Speaking of tight ends, you know, we got the, the kid from uh, Tennessee. And I, I've been noticing Fisher, he brings a lot of his old teammates back, you know, like Finnegan again and – he was looking at another guy. I don't know if that's a good thing, or do you think he's showing too much heart for his old squad, and it's going to hurt us in the long run, or does he know something that these guys work hard, and you know, I don't know. I'm kind of scared about that. You know, what do you guys well, think?
0: Well, I think you know that's something a lot. I mean, that's something most coaches do. And you're a coach that like Fisher that's been around a long. I mean, Spagnuolo did that. The only problem with Spagnuolo is he brought in. Shitty guys, as opposed that believed in whatever he was saying, as opposed to you know guys that were good at football. You know, Finnegan was a real asset. I mean, I don't think the team would have been nearly as good as it was last year without if the Rams had passed on Finnegan and gone for a, you know a, a lesser cornerback in free agency. And Cook's a guy that now I you know I I'll be the first to say that I think they overpaid for Cook, but you kind of you know they, they were in a position where they kind of had to overpay for him too. I mean, you know they needed an offensive weapon. It didn't make any sense to go throw money at Mike Wallace and some of those guys that were on the free agent market at receiver. So, I, you know, Cook's, he, Cook's a guy that is still young. He has a lot of potential. And, you know, we saw flashes of that when it's time to Tennessee, but he did to have a good team around him to work with there. So, I, I, you know, I don't mind it. I think they're good moves. I
4: think Cook's a better receiver than uh, Kent. Kent be is a better apt, I would say. Right? yeah.
0: Absolutely. He's a much better receiver than Kendrick. He's a much better athlete. He's not a wow. guy that's gonna block. I mean, he's not a guy that's gonna get you know, uh win a lot of the physical matchups, but he's a good receiver in that. He is he does have nice hands and he he's got nice speed.
4: I wanna see that. All right, thanks. thanks a lot. I just found it. Absolutely, man. Forward. Thanks for calling it's in, dude. Great. Thanks
2: appreciate it, brother. Yeah, I think the <clears throat> Cook Kendrick's relationship is going to be interesting because people forget how, how useful Kendrick's blocking ability was last season. I mean, he really yeah. stepped forward as a blocker. I don't think you want to get rid of that. It's just a fact, you know, finding a way to manage the blocking capabilities out of that position, especially when you got somebody like Tavon Austin on the field. And then, obviously, what we talked about earlier with Burke incorporating Jared Cook's receiving skills. I guess that wasn't Nazi, man. I saw his comment on the threat, and I thought. You know, it was Burning Man time. I hadn't checked the calendar. I thought Noxie was going <laughs> to call in. But uh, it looks like maybe we have some technical difficulties on that side. It is the first episode back with Blog Talk Radio. See what we can do about ironing that stuff out. Dan, what What do you think, man? What is, haven't we addressed in Season 5, Episode 1? I
0: mean, you know, we could really go into a lot more. But I think this has been we a talk. nice overview of you know, a little bit of a training camp preview for everybody, a little bit of what to watch for, who to watch for. I think on the next episode, I, you know, I think we got to talk about the running backs. I think we got to talk about Bradford's season yeah.
1: ahead.
0: Yeah. But obviously, you say the B word. That's kind of a long discussion. So
2: we got, we we got to, to cram really some hot
1: sprots.
2: To. Yeah. yeah, we got to cram some hot sprouts takes, though, and, and you mentioned Detroit. We didn't talk about Johnny Football, the the big no, the big discussion okay, we've got to this talk week. About Johnny, Johnny Football, SEC Media Days. You know, we always I always like to close out with draft talk, but I'll leave it off draft stuff. Maybe we we'll just talk about the future of football. What, what do you think about somebody like Johnny Football, a guy who is who he is, that doesn't fit the mold, but isn't let's say a crim- right? Doesn't have criminal off field pursuits. He's just a tw- he's a twenty year old kid. Who likes girls, and he likes to party, and he's good at football. What do you, what, how how do you try to qualify this in the the rigid construct I, of football media that wants to dissect him as somebody who doesn't well, take life seriously?
0: I mean, I think with Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, I think there's only one question you have to ask: Is Johnny Football worse than Hitler, or is he just sort <laughs> of like a minor Mussolini type bad guy? <laughs>
1: No, no, really. You know, I think the funny thing is, is like, if you look at what Johnny Football's done on the shit that he gets in trouble for, with local,
0: not local, but just the national columnist that you know insists on putting everything in some sort of black and white moral teleplay, relativism, thousand word <laughs> teleplay.
2: What? No, I was just saying moral relativism. But I'm still laughing at the fact that you got. I mean verbatim is Johnny Football worse than Hitler? Out without laughing while I'm getting that question out. So, kudos, kudos to you. Because the
0: of the problem is, is like you, how you can you have to say that without laughing because it's been basically printed in every newspaper for the last two weeks.
2: <laughs> Column, all well, I got caps. Yeah. King,
0: Peter King sat and said, I don't want to compare him to Ryan Leaf, but then he compared him to Ryan Leaf twice. Oh, you mean he broke? He has a drug addiction, and he broke into a pharmacy and stole some drugs. No, I don't think that's what happened. The, The thing with Johnny Football is, if he were just a cornerback, a really good cornerback, or a good linebacker, or an offensive lineman, or something like that, the antics would make headlines, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Because, but because he's a quarterback, he's a quarterback on one of the you know a top team. He's one of the best players in college football right now. So everything he does is going to get over-scrutinized to to the fullest extent of stupidity. And columnists and Skip Bayless and those ESPN guys can conjure. And Jason Whitlock, all those guys can conjure up a lot, an endless supply of stupidity. And so, you know, this guy just like, I mean, mean, Johnny Football, he is who he is. He's a character. And, And, you know, it's not like, I mean... Think of some of the guys the Rams have drafted. If Johnny Football did that stuff, think what? We'd. Think what if, if 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 Johnny Football has um, you know Janoris Jenkins or Alec Ogletree's background in college, the trouble, that, the run-ins with the law that they had. Which, and i be the first to say, twenty-year-old kids fuck up. I did. I couldn't get my head on my the, shoulders until I was a, a much older than those guys were. And, and the thing is weird th- though.
4: No, go ahead. Finish. I'll let you finish.
0: No, I'm just gonna say it. Just it takes time. And I just the problem is, is like you know, go back and read. You know, anybody that that wants to think about the larger, you know, Johnny football and then the media and all that stuff, go back and read. what Spencer, obviously, Spencer Hall, the best college football, one of the yep. best sports writers out there. Go back and read um, what he wrote about Johnny football at Media Days this week. I mean, it's the sardines, You know, it's the it's the seagulls and sardines analogy. Go back and read that. It's it's you know it's 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 a perfect encapsulation of the last two weeks in Johnny's football.
2: And if anything, you know, you know when you bring in Eric Cantona and a soccer player as eccentric as that was to lead the case for Johnny Manfield, you know I'm going to love it. I, th- I think what's what's strange about uh, about Johnny Manfield's off season is that he and there's a there's a huge sub theme of jealousy behind it. Because he's done everything the way most guys wish they could have done it. Been the star quarterback. Been with whatever girl you wanted. Not gotten in legal trouble. Go to vet. your parents are rich, so you get courtside seats. You get to throw out yeah. the first pitch. You get to do all the, the all the fun stuff, not the crazy stuff, not like Hangover to not like you know getting in trouble with drugs and all this crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah he had it. he had his misdemeanor or whatever. He got in a fight. Dude's getting fights at college, but. He's done. He's done the, like kind of the the utopian college lifestyle. And what was great about it was he just he came out to SEC media days and said, "Yeah, I'm not going to change. I mean, I'm just going to do what I continue to do." And why wouldn't you? You're living like a perfect life, and you have the Heisman. So it's like people people respect you on the football front, but the jealousy almost carries over into the back end. And I think what what made it worse, and maybe this is one of those little things, was he doesn't get the jealousy of it, and this is maybe that 1% yeah. issue, is that when well, he puts up that tweet, issue he has that tweet, not, walk a day in my shoes. Understand that. Yeah, exactly. And when he says, you know, walk a day in my shoes, Johnny, every, every 20-year-old guy wants to walk a day in your shoes. What are you talking about? Everybody yeah. wants the worst thing in their life to be that they got harassed by a parking cop and still got to hang out with the hottest girls and be the star quarterback for an SEC football team. Everybody wants that, man. And I think think that's what's different about – go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead,
1: finish, finish, finish.
2: I was just going to say, I think that's the difficulty of understanding uh, college football and especially how it relates to the NFL. I I think maybe that's where, where we turn this on its head is that when you talk about amateur athletics and we've got the O'Bannon case going on right now and you've got all mm. these other things relating to quote-unquote amateur athletics is that the game has changed, man. Johnny Manziel is a bigger figure than you had in previous eras. There's too much money in it. The, the whole system has changed, and we just haven't been willing to recognize that college football in 2013 is not what college football was in 1970, and 1970 college football was it what it was in 1950, and the players involved are different and the lifestyle different but at the same time these are 20 year old guys and, and you know it, it is what it is man if you if you if you want 20 year old guys to act like 40 year old guys you're setting your own preconceptions up for failure and it's that's sad right. that and, some and it's, people it's sad that some people do that but that's the way it is
0: and it translates to the NFL too because you've got you know you've got instead of 20 the year old
2: 23 according you know, to 24 <laughs> Twenty three million. How old is Michael Brockers. Michael Brockers able what?
0: Twenty two. I, I, you know, I exactly. I mean, these guys are barely old enough to to get served in a bar. And you just have this, and then back to what you said with the money around college football, and obviously the money around NFL. But it's just like you know, people forget that this is essentially, this is sports is an entertainment business. And the NFL isn't. Dramatically different than what, I mean, at a fundamental business theory level, the NFL isn't all that different from
2: Hollywood movie production. I was going to say strippers, but, yeah, I'm glad you you took it to something a little bit (laughs) classier.
0: It's the same, college football is the same thing, except you don't have, you know, the players don't have a union and then get paid for what they do. They get, you know, exploited. To, to put a, you know, a little more The, the, the word that should be used for it, The best way to describe it And I think that's what, you know, there's the, To me there's the, also that other responsibility The media has, the media elevates these guys Into superstar celebrities Because, you know, he's good at football He wins football games, so he's a celebrity Because he does it Also, you know, he's not doing it At App State, he's doing it at Texas A&M And he's beating Alabama It's, you know, the, the, the media makes these guys Celebrities and then and the media is in We make celebrities, and we tear them down
2: and that's sort and of I our think, job well, to do that, maybe whether it's right or wrong. My favorite thing about the whole it really was the last what two weeks with the whole Johnny Manziel off season was that Johnny Manziel and AJ McCarron were roommates. That that, yeah. that proves a conspiracy more than more than anything else, because all that does is set up the A and M Alabama timeline yet again. I am convinced, man. I tell you, I am convinced that Johnny Manziel is Nick Saban's illegitimate son, he convinced him to go to Texas A&M to ruin Kevin Sumlin in the great state of Texas so that Nick Saban can not only prove his football supremacy, but his supremacy across <laughs> all 50 United States. I am That's a right. That's and I'm he sent
0: him to Texas A&M because he knew Mac Brown would take care of it for him. At, at Texas.
2: <laughs> Mac Brown would have moved into linebacker and would have cut him after one year because, you know, <laughs> Mac Brown. It, it, and that's a great thing. That's a great thing about college football is we get back to a year like this when everything's up in the air. It's a great time for the draft, you know, if you're a draft fan because, yeah, Alabama looks great. They're stacked with talent. But SEC is tough to get through, and as they showed last year against A&M, they're not invincible. So if you're looking at it from an NFL draft perspective, I started the big board series, and I think we're going to see as this plays out, Man, this year is wide open for college football, as it is for
0: the NFL. It is. It's 3K. We are in. Take away the 1,000-degree heat indices. We are in the springtime of football.
2: It's great, man. It's great. and it, it, it's almost hard to believe, but every year we get back to this, and everything's possible. There's parity in the NFL. There's great players coming through college football ready to replenish the system. The, the flowers are the blooming, man. The clouds it are is. clearing. It's, it's a great it's a beautiful clearing. day. It's a beautiful day. I mean, at felt. this point in
0: time, even even Norv Turner and the Browns Norv <laughs> could be successful. <laughs> Wait a minute, let's not go that far. If we
2: could if we could drop the Norval rapper GIF pointing at <laughs> Blog Talk Radio, I'd do it right now.
0: Man. I would do that. I mean, we started with Ram, and that would be a good way to
2: end it. So I think that's the way we have to do it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to close out. Uh, season five, episode one. Can you believe we've been doing this for five years, though? Terrestrial radio.
0: Terrestrial radio. i been uh, around since two thousand. We started in the two thousand six. See,
1: this
4: is our fourth
1: head coach, coach. Do it. Did you throw in these the are, interim.
2: These, <laughs> I mean, it's five years, man, of radio. I'm just fourth
0: head coach, third I'm, owner.
2: Yeah. How many how many coordinators? It is what it is. Ter Radio still standing strong. Ter Times continuing to grow. It t- it tells you where the talent's at? No, I didn't say that. I didn't
0: say that. <laughs> hey, at least something about the Rams has been good all these years. Right, three K?
2: There you go. And of course we've always got the same sign up. We'll see you guys next time. We've got more stuff coming down the pipe, so stay tuned to Ter Times. Obviously stay tuned to the next episode of Ter Radio. Coming to you much more, much sooner than the March to July gap that we just had. So stay tuned. Appreciate everybody calling in, Burke, and our friend whose name I did not get. I'll try to get it in the transcript. But Alex? It was Alex. 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 We'll have to figure out who that is. But uh, we'll we'll figure out what's going on. But, um, you know, it is what it is. It's Tertial Radio. Van the 3K, as always. Van, what's the sign up? You know it is. Go Rams.
0: Go Rams. Hey!
1: Is off. The Rams get down so nobody's strong. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are
4: rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to Jackson. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with L.A. Rams. Hollywood handsome, yeah, dot City tough. If you throw it by way, it's gonna get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see, nobody
2: likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zena, nobody just with it. But under this cool is a quarterback and a I come from the air, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. Limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to run from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a
0: mountain man from West VA, they call me Herc, and I came to play. I
4: learned long ago to ram it just right, you can ram it all day and ram it all night. Ram it? No It's fun when you're ramming with me. they know what they'll ram with Yeah, man, come on, the royal is the name I cover the corner, intercepts my game Score more than anybody else on the D Cause I move like a cat as you will really be The guys call me a set of dick, son I lead the rangers, on the ram top gun They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be Even sweeter than the others are talking
3: about me I like to dance and have a lot of fun When it comes to ladies, want a brainy one But enough about me, we're here to ram it, you see If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night ram
1: it.
2: everybody ran it go have a safe weekend.
3: go rams kosher radio up. my name is spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. i keep telling you we're not voltron the shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast but it's also a show about lawn care disasters regional grocery stores we love tennessee batman homeowners associations It's not Voltron.